Hello and welcome to KLO Talks, a podcast for financial discussion. This is where we discuss the latest financial trends, news and events and aim to unravel the complicated world of investing and finance. So whether you're passionate about the sector or just want to understand more about the importance of optimizing your finances, KLO Talks has something for everyone. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of KLO Talks, the podcast for financial discussion. It's Pete here again. I'm joined by, I've got two guests, actually, um, as usual. We're going to be talking about the AIM index or the AIM market and how it actually relates to some of your needs in terms of inheritance tax planning, so on and so forth. And for this conversation, I am joined by John Gould of Pete Sigma. Hi, John. Welcome. Morning. Morning. Pleasure to be here. And I'm also joined by Terry, who is a regular on the show. Morning. Morning, uh, Peter. Morning, listeners. Yep. Happy to be here. How are you both anyway? December now, as we're recording this, it feels like a, a long year, but it's been eventful for both of you, I'm sure. It's been an interesting period, let's put it that way. Um, adapting to new working uh, processes, ways, and uh, just really trying to keep our clients, um, trying to keep in touch with our clients and uh, trying to you know, ease the, um, the stressful period, I think is the key. Yeah. What about you, John? How have you found things in business for, for what you guys do? Uh, well, it's been an eventful year, uh, Peter. I think it's it's fair to say it's kept us on our toes. Um, but uh, but I mean, we're we're lucky enough to working in an industry that sort of has, uh, has coped quite well with working remotely. I, I think so. Um, the sort of uh, step change hasn't been quite as severe as it has been for uh, other people. But um, no, it's been interesting times. I'm very much looking forward to 2021. I think I think a lot of people are, <laughs> to be honest. So, and it is only just around the corner now. Um, funny enough, we've got five weeks in December and then we're there. So hopefully a new beginning and we can put COVID behind us properly. But who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? Why don't you introduce what you actually do, John, um, and how you come into this arena of the A markets and business property relief, business relief, IHT planning, that kind of stuff. Of course. Yeah. So um, uh, my name's John Gould. I uh, am the lead uh, portfolio manager for Sigma's uh, AMIHT portfolio service. Um, I've been at Sigma for uh, about se- just over seven years now. I've been working in the uh, AMIHT uh, UK equity uh, space for, uh, well, far too long, really, um, uh, going back to prior to the financial crisis 2008. Um, and um, uh, yeah, so that's what I do at Sigma, look specifically at uh, UK listed equities uh, with a, a bias towards the AMIHT market uh, for the purposes of um, uh, tax inheritance tax mitigation for clients. And what is the AIM market? Because that that is an acronym, um, but what does it actually mean? And, you know, you talk about business property relief and business relief. Mm. What does all of that actually mean for the listeners? Yeah, so the A market is actually a sub-market of the London Stock Exchange. So it's not part of the main list that includes FTSE 100, 250, or the, or the small cap index. Uh, even though some of the companies that are actually listed on AIM are big enough to be considered for the FTSE 100, uh, and certainly for FTSE 250. Um, but generally, the regulatory requirements to list on AIM are, are less onerous than they are on the main list. So the listing fees are a bit cheaper. Uh, you don't need quite the same uh, or length of trading history, for example. So um, it's really a market for small and medium-sized 
mid-size uh, growth companies. Uh, and it's been quite an important place and a, an attractive place to list uh, to raise uh, equity uh, capital uh, over the years. Um, but I suppose for the, the, the purposes uh, of the listers, it, it is different to the main list as far as it is a, a sort of subsect uh, of it. Does that then necessarily mean that these companies, because they're smaller, um, they're growth companies, does that mean that they're not good companies for, for the people that are listening? No, absolutely not. And actually, uh, sort of quite the reverse in, in many respects. Um, I think one of, the, one of the common misconceptions about AIM is that it's just full of unprofitable, high-risk uh, penny shares that, uh, of companies that no one's ever really heard of. And while I think you know there may have been some element of truth in that 15 odd years ago, um, I think a, a lot of people don't realise how much the AIM market has improved in in quality over over the last few years. Um, uh, but yeah, the, the, the quality of the index has uh, has improved dramatically. Um, uh, but for a couple for a couple of reasons, really. Um, I suppose on one hand, uh, we've had uh, over the many years a lot of those unprofitable. Uh, companies, the businesses with higher leverage uh, or poor co corporate governance have unsurprisingly got themselves into trouble and have um, ultimately fallen uh, fallen out of the index uh, over the last 10 years. Um, but then on the other hand, at the top end of the index, um, fewer and fewer companies are now choosing to sort of graduate from the uh, the AIM market onto the main list. Uh, it's important to remember, actually, that there is no automatic promotion um, uh, once you reach a certain size on the AIM market. You don't automatically go into uh, the main list. So, you know, ASOS, for example, is the, is the biggest company on the AIM market. Well, you know, that's pretty much a FTSE 100 company uh, now if, if it were to uh, move to the main list. Uh, so, it really comes down to a decision for the board and the sort of things that they uh, they would consider in moving to the main list are well, mainly cost, uh, but whether there's any uh, benefit in terms of liquidity in the shares, uh, but also what's more increasingly important for the management teams and the uh, employees of these companies uh, is that a lot of them will have built up large shareholdings in their own business uh, over the course of time, uh, and they will have their own inheritance uh, tax considerations uh, to think about before moving to the main list. So at one end of the market, you've got the um, perhaps lower quality stuff falling out. And at the top end of the market, you've got the better quality stuff uh, staying on the index. I think ASOS is probably a really good example of company of a company that everybody kind of knows. Mm. It's the household name, people use it a lot of the time and they're, what, they're retail giants online, aren't they? Um, and I think for most people who are listening to this might actually be surprised that it's not on the mail list. It's actually on the the AIM market itself. So I think that's a really good example of a company that is, is doing very, very well, um, but one that you can get invested in when it comes to uh, the IHC considerations that we've spoken about quite a bit here on the podcast. Um, I mean, Terry, for you then, um, just a question for you. When you're having conversations with your clients, you're looking at inheritors tax specifically, are, for you, this will form a part of your potential solution for the client. Do you find that clients are aware of the AIM market or are they just completely kind of like don't really know what, what that is? Well, um, we'll take it back a step. So a lot of clients aren't aware of inheritance tax, believe it or not. Um, yeah. A lot of clients don't actually realize how wealthy they are and they believe that inheritance tax is something that the ultra wealthy pay. 
Um, but then when you sit down with clients and you say to them, well, actually, your whole estate is worth two, three million. Um, you have an inheritance tax uh, liability. They're quite surprised at that. So that's the first thing. Um, you know, we need to educate more people about inheritance tax. Um, the second thing is that people don't realize how much you have to pay. It's 40 percent. Um, and over the years, clients will be gifting money, gifting uh, to their children, to their grandchildren. And they don't realize that that could be caught up in inheritance tax because you have this seven year time horizon from when you gift um, money or assets to um, your loved ones. Then you have a seven year clock where that will then fall out of your estate. Um, they don't know about the A market. Um, it's not widely known. And you mentioned ASOS there. If you told a lot of people that ASOS is on the A market, they'll say, what are you talking about? I don't understand what you mean. Mm -hmm. So it's, a, it's educating clients about these things. Um, once they realize they've got an inheritance tax bill and that actually the seven-year clock might be scary for them because sometimes they're quite elderly and they think, well, actually, I might not survive seven years. I know it's horrible to say, but, you know, we do talk about death a lot uh, with clients. Mm -hmm. um, and when you tell them that actually there's an investment out there that if you were to invest in it today, uh, in two years time, that amount of money that you've invested would be out of your estate for inheritance tax. Um, they th sometimes think it's like a, a tax um, loop that we're trying to, you know, yeah. tax, you know, we're trying to get away with it. And is it legal? Um, but actually it's a, it's an education process. And once they really understand it, um, they do ask the question about risk. They think it is automatically, oh, it must be riskier. Um, because, you know, we're getting this benefit of the two year inheritance tax break instead of seven years. Oh, it must be riskier. Um, <clears throat> but it's, it's not the case. It's not the case. And, it's an education piece explaining how we can invest into these into these areas without carrying such risk. Yeah. And go no, go on, John, because I was actually gonna ask you, because on the risk side of things, I'm interested to know how you guys actually build it. Because I would imagine for you guys doing what you do, you're going to be looking at the best companies within that aim portfolio, the aim market to go into your portfolios almost to help with that risk management. Yeah, that, that, that's right, Peter. So, um, I mean, at the moment, uh, I mean, we target between 20 and 30 holdings with our own portfolio, but um, at the moment it's 27. And to be honest, it, it's always been around uh, 25 to 27. Um, so, But I mean, we use a filtering process. Uh, so I, I suppose our starting point for any investment um, is that we're not really looking for companies that are most likely to quadruple because unsurprisingly those are the companies that are most likely to halve as well so our starting point is really to look for companies least likely to halve so the companies that sort of tick that box uh, really are you know companies that are profitable today and have a trading history that can show that they're profitable for many many years uh, in the past um, but strong balance sheets you know ultimately you are an equity investor you want the management team to be working for the equity holder not the debt holders um, good cash generation visible earning streams or visible revenues and earning streams so companies with recurring revenues contracted revenues uh, is a particular uh, sort of key attribute for a number of the companies that we look to invest in um, 
So that filtering process sort of takes the 800 plus companies on the AIM market uh, down to a much smaller pool. Um, and it's probably actually just worth just mentioning here that not all companies on the AIM market qualify for business relief. Um, I won't go into a huge amount of detail of what does or doesn't uh, qualify, but ultimately, the, you know, the, the government is trying to encourage investment in small, uh, medium-sized growing companies, companies that produce a good or a service uh, that employ people and ultimately sort of contribute something to the UK, uh, UK economy. So things that don't qualify are things like investment trusts or real estate investment trusts, but I suppose crucially from a risk perspective, a lot of uh, resources company, oil and gas, mining, precious metals, they don't tend to qualify. Uh, and again, I, I won't dwell on the reasons why, but that is quite a cyclical uh, part of the market that we can't invest in for the purposes of, of, of business relief. Um, so as a result of that, a business relief portfolio is, uh, has a natural bias towards uh, or away from some of the more cyclical parts uh, of the AIM index itself. Um, but then, so once we've sort of gone through that a fundamental bottom-up approach of making sure the company, you know, strong management teams, good balance sheet structure. Um, we're sort of overlaying that with a, a longer-term outlook. So we're looking for structural themes, uh, growth stories that should persist beyond the economic cycle, and that can be a, a number of different things. And um, uh, we're just ultimately we don't want to be left with a portfolio if the economic environment does sour, as we've seen so far this year, or does look start, start to look a bit more benign. We want each investment to have more going for it than just a booming economic uh, or a booming economic environment. We want uh, structural growth drivers that uh, should continue for many many years to come, even if the economic environment looks quite benign. And I guess for you, Terry, that's one of the reasons why it is worthwhile you as a financial advisor and Kelo as a, as a firm working with the likes of P-Sigma because that work that goes into the background in terms of the selection and, and the management of it is something that really you would rather have them do and you kind of come together when it's needed when you have a client. Yes, exactly. Um, I mean, we work with the likes of P-Sigma because well, they're experts in this field. And to invest in this area, you do need experts. Um, you know, um, John has mentioned, you know, 800 odd companies in the whole market, they're investing in, you know, 27 uh, little thereabouts companies. Um, you can see that that's a big filter process. Um, mm -hmm. It requires someone dedicated, a team looking at that daily, monthly. Um, you know, nobody should be investing <laughs> In the AIM market on their own um, when they're looking at their inheritance tax. You know, and we're, we're, we're investing in these vehicles um, because we're looking at inheritance tax uh, liabilities for clients. So you need experts to look at that and really minimize the risk. Um, and that's what investing is all about. John alluded to it uh, just now. You're trying to invest into companies that have a long-term future. You're trying to invest into companies which when the next recession comes, they will survive. Um, you know, you need, that's why we use P Sigma because they're dedicated to, to investing in the AIM market and they know what they're doing. Interesting question for you then, John, because I'm curious, given obviously COVID this year and everything, have you seen the shape of the portfolio move that much or has it been because you've had some really good research in the back that it's kind of almost kind of stayed 
pretty much the same because people who don't know about this may think, well, actually, you must have changed a load of companies in there. But is that is that what does that look like for you at the moment? Yeah, it's it's a good question, Peter. Um, I mean, clearly, a lot has happened this year, um, and you know, thing, uh, things ha- have required us to be quite nimble. Um, but actually, the composition of the individual companies within the portfolio hasn't changed uh, much at all, really, and and that's pretty typical year on year. Uh, we look, perhaps look to uh, add or replace one to two companies. Uh, each year. And that really comes down to the fact that we are looking for sort of five-year-plus investment time horizons. Um, some of the companies we've owned in the portfolio, we've we've owned for, you know, more than 17 uh, years. Um, uh, and, you know, before it was, you know, IHT or business relief was particularly uh, well known. Um, so the uh, the composition of the portfolio hasn't changed, but what we do tend to um, uh, do is we're quite active in uh, uh, taking profits from companies that have actually performed quite well, and then topping up those sort of core long-term uh, positions. Clearly, within the portfolio, we've had businesses that, have, if anything, have thrived throughout this crisis. Their business model is well well prepared for it, and actually their growth prospects have uh, increased. And those share prices have actually done very well this year. And it's really on us to maintain that discipline of taking profits where we think things might have run a bit too far, but also having the conviction to top up core positions where, you know, albeit they have been more acutely affected this year, but the balance sheet is fine. These companies will be around next year. Uh, and if anything, their longer term pros- uh, prospects are enhanced by the changes that we've seen so far this year. So we've added one new company this year, but there hasn't been a huge um, sort of restructuring of the portfolio because fundamentally the investment cases for all of our businesses uh, remain very much intact over the longer term, um, slightly altered around the side. I think that's probably a good takeaway for people who are listening. In fact, that I think it's very easy to look at this year and be like, oh, it's been absolutely terrible. You know, Arcadia going to administration today and, you know, the market's having a really tough time. But to know that actually there are some companies that you've got in the portfolio that have done really, really well, I think that is a really great message to put out there to say it's testament to your research, it's testament to the work that you do to make sure that you are buying solid companies. And I'm just curious, Terry, does that does that give you comfort as an advisor when you're 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 speaking to your 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 clients about using aim portfolios and, and potentially using p sigma for this uh, yes um i've got clients uh, with p sigma and in the aim portfolio and you know clients will panic uh, when times like this happen when we've got covid um you know recessionary periods and the the portfolio has held up fantastically and actually is in profit and all the clients are surprised um you know they're pleasantly surprised it gives me a lot of confidence because you know when we have these times where it's all stressful for clients and they can see that their portfolio survives this period um well then it gives them confidence in the future years when we don't have things like covid or a recessionary period they realize that yes it will hold up and their money is safe um and and that's what it's all about you know when you're investing for clients you want your, the portfolios to survive these periods. Um, well, if they don't, you don't have a client anymore. You know, that's the that's you're not providing the the service that you promised to uh, provide. So it gives me great confidence. And what I really do like about the P Sigma portfolio is they monitor risk. I mean, there's a lot of firms out there that do this, but I found with P Sigma that they 
really hone down into the risk levels and try and mitigate that. That's important to them and that's important to my clients. So they really get what we're trying to do and why we need it. Um, and that, that gives me confidence. I mean, so for you then, when you're speaking to a client, I guess obviously the, the ultimate um, goal is to use the portfolios to help mitigate um, the inheritance tax bill as much as possible, really. Um, yes. What would be the one key thing that you would ask for listeners to this to take away in this conversation from your point of view as a financial advisor? Um, yeah, discuss, discuss, talk about your money. Um, you know, have a financial advisor, talk about your money and just have a discussion. If you think you've got an inheritance tax liability, there are things that you can do. And it doesn't mean that you have to gift away your money because a lot of clients think that for them to not have an inheritance tax liability, they have to gift their money away to their children, to their grandchildren. And a lot of clients don't want to do that because they still want to have the ability to use that money for themselves if they need to. Um, you know, a lot of clients have trust issues with their children, but they don't think they're ready for such sizable amounts of money and I can understand that. And so they don't want to gift it away right now. Um, and a lot of clients believe that that is the only option or putting it into a trust, again, losing the control of that money. And that's what a lot of clients don't like. They want to keep the control. But with this solution, you do keep the control. You can use this money for yourself. Um, it's still yours. It's in your name. All it's doing is after two years, it's out of your estate for the calculation of inheritance tax liabilities. Um, so it's a great piece. And for clients out there that think they may have an inheritance tax liability, the message here is there is another option. There are many options, and this is one of them. And you should really just have a discussion with a financial advisor that can guide you. Yeah, and I, I have to echo that because, you know, you hear stories all the time where people want to gift properties and gift cash. And it's like you have to make sure that you're doing the right thing for you and your circumstances. And it's very, very hard to understand what those what the right moves are um, if you're not speaking to a professional who is you know, trained and, and qualified to be able to have a look at this holistically. And that holistic view is so important as well. Yeah, no, it definitely is. Yeah. So, John, for you looking forward, does the A market continue to have a, a, an important role to play? Do you see any changes coming down the stream um, for the A market specifically through 21 and into the future? Yeah, so I think in one sense, um, and we've sort of partly covered it earlier, um, you know, smaller companies, growth companies, equity investments should be seen as, as higher risk. Um, and it's important you do speak to your advisor to make sure that uh, it is right to uh, right for you. Um, and one of the reasons why smaller medium-sized companies are higher risk is that they you know they might not have the diversification or benefits of scale as the as their larger counterparts do on say the FTSE 100 or those big mega cap companies uh, overseas um and so they tend to be a bit more um uh, sort of sensitive to uh, investor sentiment and economic cycles um so that's the sort of downside on the on the plus side is that smaller companies medium-sized companies uh, they tend to be much more nimble. And uh, again, I alluded it to it earlier. I mean, the speed at which they reacted through this uh, pandemic uh, has been 
phenomenal uh, from my point of view. I've been I've been really impressed. But equally, you know, their ability to be able to highlight or at least identify uh, opportunities, um, growth opportunities for them in the future, is much better than it is if you're in a big lumbering company. Um, and the one way I'd sort of explain that is that a smaller company is much better able to sort of nibble away at market share of a bigger competitor without them really knowing about it. But actually, that small shift in market share can actually mean a huge amount to a smaller company, whereas to a bigger company, they won't even uh, notice it. So actually, you know, as part of any investment portfolio, I think investors should have an element of small and medium size uh, size companies in their overall asset mix, um, because I, you know, I, I genuinely believe you know, it should offer uh, prospects for longer term growth. And when it comes to sort of IHT planning uh, or state planning in general, you know, the AIM uh, IHT market as a as an option is is actually not quite as it might not involve quite as big a jump in risk profile as you might think. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, ISA portfolios, often people have built up a huge ISA portfolio um, with constantly adding to it, never really drawing on it. Uh, and while ISAs are tax efficient uh, in life, they still form part of your estate uh, in death. So it's important to um, you know, consider that as part of the overall picture as well. And what people find is that they will often have an equity element within their ISA. Uh, and therefore, taking that equity element, perhaps sort of increasing the risk profile a bit to go to, uh, to aim, actually, from an overall risk perspective, it's, it's not a huge jump. Um, so I think there's, there's always room for uh, an aim portfolio for many people. But the important thing is to get, you know, good quality advice and speak to your advisor. Absolutely. You know, and that's a really good point that you've just made there. The fact that, you know, yeah, ISAs are tax-free through life, but they do form part of your estate. If the whole idea is to try and move as much as you possibly can outside of your estate, then an ISA, if you've accumulated a lot of money into them, is the perfect candidate for it. But again, you need to have that relationship with a financial advisor. Good clients come, can't come directly to P Sigma. Is that correct? Um, you can, but we would strongly encourage you to seek uh, financial advice first, because uh, as Terry alluded to earlier, there are a number of options you can consider before you get uh, to this stage. I, I am a, a mere investment manager. I am not an investment advisor. So I, I would always encourage everyone to um, get advice uh, where appropriate. Yeah. And the advice element is really just to help guide you as the listener as to, you know, is it your ISA that you put into it? Is there something else that you then put into the AIM portfolio? How is it structured, so on and so forth? How does it fit into your personal circumstances with the view that there are so many other factors that that tie into it? And that's the role of, you know, Terry to have a look at a holistic view and then go to someone like P Sigma who manages it and actually builds the portfolio uh, for you. So in closing, are there any last comments from you, Terry, that you'd like to kind of put across aside from the fact that people should just ask questions and have a conversation about inheritance tax and their, their estate and their wealth? Yeah, I think the message here is it's never too late to start planning. Um, you know, with a with an investment like this where you can be invested for two years and then you you have this amount of money outside of your estate it shows you that it's never too late you know a two-year time horizon is that is not that long um so yeah sooner rather than later you should be talking about these things and discussing them with a financial advisor 
but the message for me is it's never too late and there are many options and uh, this is a very good option for many people excellent thank you so guys um john thank you so much for joining us for this conversation and thank you so much again terry for being here as well regular on the uh, podcast but if you're listening to this and this is something that you think that you've picked up some little nuggets from you're probably going to do a little bit of further research but i would strongly encourage you to reach out to the guys at Kerlo and to terry just to have a conversation the conversations are complimentary it doesn't cost you anything at all it will allow you to kind of get to understand how they work and how they can help you and your personal finances your situation specifically we will leave some links down in the show notes for this um, so that you can contact terry uh, directly to have a conversation and said even if it is you know a half hour zoom call we can't do coffees yet um it will be very very beneficial but we appreciate you listening to this podcast until the next one take care